And welcome back, Chelsea fans, to the latest episode, or actually, should I say pod series, because we've been doing two a week now, of the Romans Empire podcast, where all we do is talk Chelsea and talk shit about everyone else. But today, we're actually going to be talking a lot of shit about Burnley, a lot of shit about their... I got to refrain from cussing this early in the podcast, but a lot <laughs> about their coaching staff. And uh, we're also going to be discussing a lot about Kevin Friend and that shit housery, as Stamford Chidge would say, of a refereeing display. So before we get started, I will have to introduce my co-host as usual, uh, Andres Velasco. How you doing, man? Uh, as good as we can be doing in this current state that we're in. And uh, future lawyer, Mr. Sambagarzade. Don't, or should I say sports agent? Yeah, I, a current sports agent, actually, but uh, I'm officially licensed, so yeah, if you if you know anyone, give me a call. Um, <laughs> but I, I'm, I'm not surprised. That's, that, that's my only reaction right now. I'm really not surprised. Uh, I think it has to be, as Andreas put it, the curse of Easter. There's just a bad omen about this Easter. Um, I think this was like the first, you know, Jesus still isn't over it. So he's kind of, you know, putting, punishing us a little bit more. So, uh, you know, every, everyone took a toll. That... All, all, every single, every single fan of a big, of you know, in that race took a toll this weekend. It wasn't just us. It was a collective pain, you know. So, but at yeah. least we came out with at least one point, you know, that, that that's still a little bit. I mean, I guess putting us on the same level as Arsenal and United um is not really that great is an accomplishment a, yeah thing, is it? <laughs> i mean is, it will be is, for the, as far as this season goes yeah that's an accomplishment because i mean this is one going to be one of the he most hectic end of the season runs for all four of those teams that are trying to get in those last two uh top four spots i hate it so much it's going to be yeah. great it's going to be an unbelievable ending but uh hey Europa League isn't that bad, right, guys? Come on, if we're enjoying it. I mean, I guess there's some <laughs> bright side. Yeah, well, let, let's let's get into it, actually, uh, speaking of it, uh, Europa League. So, first leg uh, against Slavia Prague. So, this was, again, last episode, we always make this mistake of uh, rushing through lower-tiered teams and not really <laughs> giving too much thought into what the, you know, the prediction's going to be. But to be fair... None of us really had any idea what Slavia Prague had and, you know, what they could provide. So it was a lot closer than it really should have. Um, so in the first half, a brilliant opening goal from Pedro. It was beautiful. Six one-two touch passes between Pedro, Conte, uh, Dave, and Giroud. Uh, I mean, Pedro was a magician. It was like he was like 24 years old again. Um I'm sorry. Yeah, I don't know why I said I don't know why I said first leg. Sorry, second leg. Um, so <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm off. Uh, so I I want to ask you guys, Andreas. I'll start off with you. How were we able to find success in the first half, but not the second? Oh my God! If I knew the answer to that question, I would be the manager of Chelsea right, right now. Right. <laughs> Good God. Um. Well, I I think the first half we really took it upon ourselves to to get a hold of the game and and from an early from the very beginning honestly show Prague our quality I think that Chelsea came out strong confident and in the second I mean the second half was the total opposite we came out lackadaisical we let Slavia Prague have 
a quick goal and then they just felt confident. I mentioned it before, when you give a small team hope, that's dangerous. And that's exactly what we did. In the first half, it seemed that we were going to destroy them, send them home. And, you know, you guys made it far. It was a fun run, but you're out of here. And then in the second half, it almost seemed that we were going to be the team that could potentially go home. So the tale of two halves thing is is a huge issue. I, I honestly am I'm so tired that it has to continue being a, a storyline for us. But, yeah, I mean, props to Prague because they did the same thing to Sevilla, but they were actually able to to finish that that one out. I mean, I, I agree with Andres. I, th- I thought we had the right intention to start the match, right? Like, we were all over them. That was probably one of the best starts to a match we've had all season, at least in 2019. Yeah, I agree. Um, I mean, it just seemed like they wanted to go out there and just, you know, put it to bed as soon as possible. Um, and that's basically what they did. I mean, obviously, minus the second half capitulation, but I, I don't really... I think the scoreline actually flattered Prague because those those last two goals were just absolute bangers. Like, yeah, you could criticize Emerson or Jorginho for not closing him out, but, I mean... And just, for, goals, just for context, ma- like, just... Uh, we conceded both goals in the first 15 minutes yeah, uh, from the yeah, same yeah. guy on the same side of the pitch. So the, uh, the closing, the closing out should have been much better case in point. I, I, I mean, uh, like, like I, I don't think that should be argued against. I mean, maybe for the first goal, Kepa did get beat um, to his near post. So maybe that one could have been avoidable, but that second goal, I don't mm-hmm. think there's many goalkeepers that'll stop that. I mean, that's just a banger. It like, really came you, out of nowhere. Gotta, I didn't. Even, I, no, I don't think anyone him. expected him to take that. I mean, he just yeah. he just gone for it. Not you know what was it within five minutes? How how far apart were the two goals? Were like five six minutes difference? Something like that. It was definitely a heat check. Yeah, I I know. I I thought like there was no way he would try it again. So like when yeah. I saw like I didn't realize that he shot it until it was like, you know, like halfway the distance to the goal. Uh, it was a surprise to me. So I mean, I if, I'm sure he was he was just caught off uh, caught off guard as well. I mean, just one. Oh, sorry, go, go for it. Does, doesn't it seem that we just give up either these dumb set piece goals or an absolute banger? Yeah, like, I have yet to see like an average goal go in against us. And I hate to say it's a that. Set piece thing. Like I hate to say this because it's like, I mean, it, it does have to do a little bit with our inability to close out, like you said, Zach. But mm-hmm. I mean, is it? It's been our luck on the other side of the pitch as well. I mean, we've hit the post so many times. I mean, even this past week. I mean, the, the, this last match, we'll get into it, but Iguain's goal that was saved off the, the, the line. I mean, that we're just getting unlucky. And I, I mean, I can't, you know, it's, 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 it is in a sense taking away credit from the guys who scored these goals. But I mean, this is not the only one. Like you said, Andres, it's either coming off of something like that dumb or something or, or it's, a, you know, like a world, a worldy like that. So I think it's honestly, it's, it's a lot of just bad luck. You know, things just not going our way. And like, I don't know, that's I don't the, know that hasn't been bad luck, though. I, I mean, of course, it's a combination of a lot of different things. But like, how many times out of 10 is that is that ball going in? And how many times out of 10 is he shanking it like somewhere into the stands? You know, there's I, probably like a 15 percent chance that ball goes where exactly where it is. And we're just, you know, we're unlucky that it, it hit his foot so perfectly. I, I think the bigger problem here is not necessarily that we're unlucky per se i mean i guess we are unlucky to a certain extent right like you got to have the rub of the green sometimes like 
you know, Liverpool has had it all season long and, and, and same with City for the most part, except in the Champions League. But I think I think the reason why we're conceding so many goals and some of these ridiculous goals that these teams are scoring against us is because the way we play, it's not it doesn't take a dumbass to look at our side and see that, you know, they could attack us. Right. Like if you're an opposition, uh, if you're an opposition player on an opposing team and you're about to play Chelsea, you know that their defense is fragile. You know that we concede a lot of goals. So I think the lesser teams like the Burnleys, um, like the Slavia Prague's, they come into these matches thinking that they can nick a goal or two. And, and that's not unrealistic. Right. And let's not forget, like as much as we trash these teams for not being, you know, elite per se. They are professional footballing teams, right? right? And like Slavia Prague is not a pub team. And we've said that word a lot in the Europa League so far. I think everyone we've played so far has been a joke. Mm -hmm. I think Slavia Prague's like an like a proper team, um, at least for, you know, for for Europa League. Like they're a very, very good team. And they knocked out Sevilla. That's no easy feat. So they look at our team, they see how fragile we are. And that confidence gives them that little boost. And I think a lot of Chelsea fans are guilty of this, especially me. Like these guys are professional footballers and they can do that. And they do it all the time at training. Um, and, and sloppy of progress, probably scoring goals like that for fun in their league. So I'm not going to say I'm surprised that we can, I mean, I'm not going to say that I'm surprised that they scored those goals, but I'm just not surprised that, you know, teams are, are, are exposing our weakness in that sense. Like, the closing out on both of those goals was terrible, but at the same time, like they were both bangers. Now, if those shots were five or six yards closer, maybe at the maybe right on the line of the 18 or just inside the 18, then that's definitely our fault. But I mean, you got to give credit where credit's due. Those are two sick goals, weren't they? Yeah, of course. I mean, Andreas, like, did you have anything you wanted to add about the second half? Um, I mean, I, I started sweating. I was like, this. Is- <laughs> This is one of those things where I was, it just looked, it was getting worse and worse and worse. Like I looked away and they scored again. And man, it, we really, really got lucky there to just finish it out after, especially such a strong first half. What were we up for? Four one. Mm-hmm. It was just, it just seemed like it was a done deal. I was thinking, oh man, we should have really had Ampadu on the bench. He could have used some minutes. And then typical Chelsea second half, it just all went to flames and. Yeah, I mean, the fact that I thought for a second that we could get eliminated was was pretty scary. We don't have this on the script, but um, so the, the next uh, the semifinals are going to be starting. It was I think uh, May first or May second, a uh, couple in a couple weeks uh, against Frankfurt. Um, so this is this is a little preview of uh, possibly uh, our future striker Luka Jovic. Jovic. Uh, you know, I mean, it, this is. This, I think this was. I mean, th- then they came back. Uh, uh, I think they were down. They were down four two in aggregate. Yeah, and they won. Yeah. They won two nil. Um, yeah. So, I think so they it won. Was it Rebic that had the ridiculous game? Yeah. Uh, yep. Yeah. And so that 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 was. So, uh, we were. I think I was fully expecting to play Benfica next round, but the fact that we we're gonna get to see uh jovich play against us maybe uh it'll be a tryout maybe he'll uh meet some of the players they'll become friends you know something like that it's all possible um, it's too bad we don't have any serbians on our roster anymore yeah right I, hey a night out with danny drinkwater i think that'll that, <laughs> that'll sell it i mean he's just he's just a, a classic dude like he's just a classic he was guy. recruiting tactic yeah 
That's why we. I mean, that's why we pay the premium bucks for him. That's for sure. I mean, that, that's the only reason. That's the only explanation I can think of right now. But anyway, so that's Europa League. Back to the Premier League. And we, as we, we as we discussed, yeah, as we reluctantly discussed, uh, this two-two draw against Burnley, um, at home. So very, very disappointing. Um, so let's 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 uh, let me go through the the lineup real quick. Uh, so Kepa in goal, Emerson, Luis, uh, Christensen, and Dave in the back line. Jorginho, Conte, and RLC uh, in the midfield and. Uh, Eden Hazard, Cho, and Iguain up front. So, um, let's 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 talk about the probably the MVP of the match, and that is Kevin Friend. Um, that dynamic power duo of Kevin Friend and Burnley is just uh, unstoppable. Um, Burnley just they, they they were they were not as desperate as us. At first, I thought they were more desperate because you know they, they a win would would secure them from relegation. But Andreas is right. They have more chances to win matches to secure that spot. Like, this was a mm-hmm. must-win for us. We were more desperate. But, again, still, a very desperate side. Um, Time-wasting from, like, 30 minutes in. Um, yep. In the first half. So, uh, really just an incredible display of time-wasting. Ashley Barnes and company going down for treatment any chance they can get. Uh, I mean, literally... A, a single a single roll over would have gotten him off the pitch uh, at one point, but he had to stay right at the touchline. Um, then after the match, uh, there was a tussle between the coaching staff. So, as I, I, I was was I just seeing things, Zach, or was this the most blatant display of time wasting we've seen in a long time, if not ever? It was fucking ridiculous. I mean, I, I have no problems with teams sitting back and being defensively compact and letting us have the ball like a smash because, and grab for sure exactly because that's what we've that's how we've achieved all of our club success as chelsea like that's been our identity since roman came in now i'm not being biased here when i say this but like we never stoop to that level of just blatant pathetic cheating basically because that's what it was i mean Ashley Barnes must have went down a minimum of like six times in that second half. And I remember the first time he went down, he went down clutching his right calf. The physio comes out, stretches that calf for maybe five or six seconds. Then Kevin Friend walks over and he starts stretching the other calf. Like pick which calf is cramping, bud. Like, and, and then it, it doesn't even stop there. Like the referee is two feet away from him and he's watching this whole entire thing going down. And in the meantime, I'm looking up at the clock, right? And every single time someone went down, at least a minute would go by. Mm-hmm. So you had Ashley Barnes going down, I mean, maybe six times is an exaggeration. It might be a good guess even, but let's say at least four times. That's a minute. Each time he goes down, that's at least a minute. Now you're not counting the times. Dwight McNeil went down two or three times. A couple of their other players went down. And it, it, it just becomes ridiculous. And for me, this all falls on the referee. He had no stranglehold on this match. He didn't control mm-hmm. the match whatsoever. And he didn't have the fucking cojones to do anything about it. And that that's what bothers me. It's it's appalling on every single level. And they should all seriously – they should be ashamed of themselves. And no, I'm not overreacting. Because if you watch the match – and even Zola said it after in the presser. We're disappointed because in the second half, they didn't play enough football. 
And it's simple. There should have been six or seven minutes added on. Last season, there was a match where there was nine minutes of extra time added on. And like I went on, I actually went on Twitter after the match, and I even mentioned how I think the Premier League makes officiating in the NBA look like a completely different class. And that's really <laughs> saying something. Yeah, in the because NBA, you, yeah. <laughs> whoever our listeners are, if you whoever watches the NBA, you know how shit the officiating is. The league is soft as hell now. And the officiating in the NBA is so much better than the Premier League now. And, and we talked about it earlier also, how there was only one English ref at the World Cup. I think that tells you everything you need to know about, yeah. a, 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 about the referees. The league really needs to do something about it because – at what point do you at what point do you need enough evidence to have a legitimate conversation about time wasting and about sportsmanship within the parameters of the game, right? Fans pay good money to see football. Not Ashley Barnes and Dwight McNeil rolling around on the floor like they got hit by a Tyson right hook, right? Like it, it's just pathetic. Like fuck Burnley, fuck Kevin Friend, fuck <laughs> Ashley Barnes, and and honestly, fuck this whole entire season. Like it, this is the boys were up for it in this match, and especially in the first half. Yes, mm. we conceded two shitty goals. We'll get to that. We'll get to that. But it's clear that at halftime, there were more goals to be scored in this game. And the fact that Burnley identified it, and yes, I mean, you could credit Sean Dyche for it. He identified that we were up for it. We were probably going to have a few opportunities. So whenever somebody gets poked, go down, grab your leg, and act like you just got shot in the face. Like, it's just, it's absolutely ridiculous. And I'm just, I'm so over it at this point. And, and we've seen teams come to the bridge in time waste. But this is just, I mean, this is just on a completely other level. I mean, the second half was, how much out of time was there? Five minutes? Five, four yeah. minutes? Yeah, five so minutes. Five minutes. So that's 95 minutes, or that, that that's 50 minutes. I think genuinely we must have seen at least 25 to 30 minutes of football being played. Yeah, probably. I mean, and wasn't there also a time, I, w- I was watching without sound, but didn't didn't Sari get banned from the touchline? He got sent away back to the to a seat. Yeah, so, so that, that's even the ref wasting more time. <laughs> Sari walked out of his uh, technical area after Kovacic like started that little you know like the, that little scuffle. Right, and, with and, like twelve and, minutes left. Yeah, and, and Zola said that Sari shouldn't have been sent off because Sari didn't go there to say anything to Kevin Friend or to instigate. He was actually going there to tell his own players to get on with it because Mm -hmm. we didn't have that much time left in the game. So that alone is just ridiculous. The fact that, and if this is true, the fact that Kevin friend could send off a manager without fully knowing what's going on on a touchline is everything that is wrong with the officiating in the premier league. (laughs) That's all you need to know for sure. Yeah. What about you, Andreas? Let's hear from you. I'll be a little bit. Yeah. I'll be a little bit more concise. (laughs) Right. So yes, we were discussing in the group text, you know, Burnley needs one point to avoid relegation. And I, I thought, oh, well, they have, you know, three more matches after this. Surely they can get a point out of those. But after more research, they have Man City, Everton, and Arsenal. So Man City, let's be real. Man City's going to win that game because mm-hmm. they literally need to win every single one. Yeah. Everton right now is in some majestic form. They beat United 4-0 over the weekend. And then Arsenal in the last weekend, that could define Arsenal's top four dream. So in all honesty, this was their best chance of getting that point, and they got it. So am I cool with time wasting? 
No, I think it's ridiculous. Was it managed properly by the ref? Absolutely not. I, I was encouraged at first that Tom Heaton got the yellow early, but the fact that, like Zach said, it, it evolved to the capacity it did in the second half without being checked was astonishing for me. And and if Kevin Friend isn't making that call from the pitch, at least the fourth referee or the VAR crew, or I guess crap, well, we don't have that yet. Well, there is I, no VAR. Yeah, yeah. right, right, I mean, right. That's a problem. I mean, I feel like <laughs> I feel like if we did have a VAR crew, that's that's something that they should be able to review and get an RFC or at halftime and be like, hey, look, you know, Burnley's clearly time wasting. Keep an eye on it. Right, something along those lines. But at the end of the day, the thing that's most infuriating is that Chelsea put themselves in that position. We yeah. had the the early goal just for them to to hit us with a counter goal of their own. Then we had the Iguain goal. We're up 2-1. And then just like last time, we let them get another one. And both goals coming from set pieces. And I know we're, we're about to talk about this in just a second. But the fact that – I hate the fact that the time-wasting seems to be the headline when in reality we should be dissecting what we did wrong because – our team should have taken apart this Burnley side. This isn't the same Burnley side that went unde- almost undefeated in in like a whole campaign when they qualified for Europa. This is a, t- a team that's been getting their ass handed to them most of this season. So the fact that, yes, they needed the one point, some mention it. We are in a position where we have no room for mistakes because at this point we don't control our own destiny going into the top four. So the least we can do is earn our three points week in week out, no matter who the opponent is, there should be zero game where we are outworked or, or that we can't seem to find a solution because it's now or never. And the fact that we could have capitalized on a horrendous weekend across all the top four teams, it's so disheartening. And, I hate talking about the fact that we're spending so much time talking about the referee and time wasting just because those are parts of the game. The referees, we know they're garbage. We know the EPL has awful refereeing, so that's not surprising. And again, we mentioned it. Burnley needed one point. Once they tied the game again, there was zero chance that we're going to play football. We needed to adapt. And that goes back to the players and sorry. Like, Mm -hmm. I hate the fact that we're doing this because in reality, this is our own fault. I don't care. This could have been any other team. But if you're facing a team that needs one point to survive, just one, and they have that dirt for like 45 minutes away from them, and they can just say, hello, Premier League, we're back for good next season with just 45 minutes of football for them to just essentially run the clock down. Of course, they're going to take that. And, and that's why I hate being on social media right now just to see more of this, like Kevin Friend this or, or Burnley. And, and yes, classless. I agreed. But that's it. Those 90 mm. minutes were not good enough from Chelsea. And that's that's kind of where I want to end, end um, that kind of my conversation. Andreas, I think uh, they needed they needed the win in order to, quali- uh, to be safe. They needed so all three they're... points, not just the one. I'm pretty but, sure. But so they the, still, the they still have a right lot now, of breathing room, though. Yeah, because... yeah. The, the table right now, they are they are nine points clear of Cardiff, and they have something like a over, like almost a twenty goal differential. So I'm pretty sure they're safe unless Cardiff decides yeah. to to win every match six nil, which right. they won't do. Right. They won't. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so you alluded to uh, the set piece defending, but before we get into that, 
we've got a new uh, a new user who sent in a question. This is this is a breakthrough. This is a very important day for uh, the Romans Empire pod <laughs> because we get to introduce to you Kiros Medvedev, right? I think that's how you pronounce yeah. it. I'm assuming is I think pretty sure Kirill like... is a Russian name. I'm if if I, if I got that wrong, I'm sorry. I'm I'm just I'm I'm being general. Racist. Yeah, I'm racist. Um but I think I'm right. Um so he asks, who would you rather fight? Kevin, not my friend, or Ashley Barnes, the slayer of the Balkans? Who would you rather fight? <laughs> Andreas, you want to answer first? Yeah, I'll I'll, t- I'll I'll say Ashley Barnes because the referee just being inept at his job, whatever. But Ashley Barnes knew well right what he was doing that match. And again, I think time wasting is is a disgrace. So he'd be the guy that I would want to take out my anger on. Yeah, I have to agree. I I, I think Ashley Barnes. But I think the real question here is what means – with what means would you fight him? What would be your <laughs> weapon of choice? I right? mean the cool thing about Ashley Barnes is like you can just do a light light swing, like a light right hook. And anything anything that hits him, he's gonna he's gonna go down. You know, you know what so I find? It really you doesn't matter. Find... You can fight him with anything, and he's going down. I, I, what I find most irritating about him is how big of a hypocrite he is on the pitch. Because when he's playing, <laughs> when he's sitting back behind the ball, he's playing like this hard man, right? Like barreling people over and running into players recklessly. But then the second David Luiz puts a hand on his shoulder, he goes down, clutching both legs, like. Come on, man. Get, get out of here. That, that's just weak shit. I'm so over it. Yeah, I, it wasn't even a good acting performance. I wouldn't nominate him for any award for that. I mean, no, it was just garbage. too bla- it was too blatantly fake. I I, I yeah. didn't like it. No no, yeah. no credit whatsoever. So, let's get into that set piece defending discussion because this has been a huge issue for us this season or this zonal zonal defending that that sorry is insistent on implementing has been just extremely embarrassing. Burnley scores two goals in the first 25 minutes off their first two corners. So, uh, Andreas, I'll start off with you since you brought it up. Uh, what what are your thoughts about zonal marking? My, my thoughts on zonal marking are this. There is uh, – what is the word where you can take accountability? There is zero accountability because in zonal marking, you don't know – Technically, who's at fault? Because there's so much gray area of, oh, well, this is technically half your zone, half my zone. So when you're watching tape and a zonal marking, it's like a domino effect. If the first person doesn't do their part or they're one step too far, then the next person's one step too far and, and so on and so forth. So for me, it's as simple as that. If you are man marking, everyone knows who they're responsible for. And when the tape comes out, if a mistake was made, we can work on it. Hey, they're going to try to set a pick, avoid it this way, things like that. In zonal marking, again, you're very static and you're waiting for the ball to come to you rather than being proactive and getting in front of the guy you're defending or or beating him to the ball. So it's it's as simple as that for me. It, it doesn't work in this league. You, It's a very physical league and waiting for things to come to you just – usually don't bode well whether it's zonal marking or just honestly life in general so for me my mark get the zonal marking out of here it's a total joke and it actually i'm gonna take that back it's a joke in the premier league It, it doesn't work in a premier league like it does in countries like let's say italy or spain where 
set pieces aren't necessarily the focal point of the lesser team's attacks. You come to the Premier League, everybody at the bottom of the table relies on set piece opportunities as one of their main forms of goal scoring. Good point. Where That's in Italy point. and Spain, it's a it's a lot the the game is a lot slower. It's you mm-hmm. know they create more clear cut chances as opposed to set piece opportunities. Yeah, that's like you a secondary team... concern for them. Exactly, and 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 plus, I mean, the Premier League you have to take into account the physicality and the size of other teams. Like Burnley is a massive team. They're probably the physically biggest team we're gonna play because they have four center backs playing in their playing in their back line and they have four center mids playing in the midfield you know and you got teams like Burnley other teams like Brighton does the same thing but to a lesser extent I think and even the better teams like Everton they rely on these corners and fouls in the attacking third to create goal scoring opportunities now the like I said the players in a Premier League barring the odd flair players they're generally bigger and more physical aerially and the part that really bothers me is that we talked about it in the match preview last week. And we and I feel like we kind of sound like a broken record whenever we talk about teams at the bottom of the table because that's usually their usually their biggest threat is the set piece opportunities. Like we talked about it with Brighton, how I think it was 26 or 27% of their set piece uh, of their total goals came from set pieces this season one we played them. Burnley last week it was 21%. And and this is just something that Sari has to identify, right? They have two giant strikers who are known for their aerial ability and their physicality. They get on the end of crosses. They have center backs that are incredibly aggressive in the box. And it, it, and in terms of our defending, I mean, it was just sad. Like, Sarri has to look at this. He has to look at their personnel and see what works best. Now, with zonal marking as a concept, it makes sense. You want to have balance in the box on zonal marking, but that also means you have someone on the front post, someone on the far post, someone standing in the middle of the six, someone standing on the penalty area. We didn't have any of that. We had four players in the six-yard box playing near post. So when the ball got flicked on for the second goal, of course Ashley Barnes isn't going to miss an opportunity like that. Now, for the first goal, like you could argue that we could have cleared our lines more efficiently – and I don't want to take anything away from Jeff Hendrick because it was just a ridiculous shot. And in terms of Keppa, there's again, there's nothing you could do. He's been conceding a lot of bangers, and it kind of sucks because he is a decent <laughs> shot stopper. But the second goal, like I said, it was just completely avoidable. You had four Chelsea players standing in the six near post. Ashley Barnes somehow goes completely unnoticed at the far post. By the way, I think he's Burnley's all-time uh, leading goal scorer in the Premier League now. I think he has 11 on the season after that. So mm-hmm. this isn't somebody that's that's not a threat in those situations. Like, this is their goal scorer. This is their guy, right? And if, if, for me, it, it, it all goes down to sorry. And the fact that he hasn't adapted to that 35 games into the season, it's just another instance of how stubborn he is and how wedded he is to his philosophies. England is completely different from Italy and the fact that sorry hasn't identified that yet it's just it's so irritating and and let me tell you something if we decide to play zonal marking against teams like uh like Frankfurt or even like Man United we're probably going to get scored on again because yeah. again those are teams that have players that could dominate in the air so and we have and, to go man to man right and and that's the other part I was going to touch base on it that kind of defending crosses also goes to just crosses in, in live play because 
we heard it at the beginning of the season. Sorry likes to have his defenders stare at the ball, and that's how they want to defend. Mm-hmm. But you you alluded to it. All the goals that have come in recently, even going back to the Liverpool match, if it's coming from across, it's coming from that second flick or yeah. the, the ball making it to the back post. If you're staring at the ball, if you're playing zonal marking, you probably have no idea that somebody just made a late run to the back post, which is exactly what happened with Sadio Mane and exactly what happened in Burnley. Again, how do you fix that? Just put a man in front of their opposing man. We both have 11 players on the field. It's pretty easy math. And sorry, was a banker. He knows numbers. It's, it's not simple. You put a man in front of the other man and you do everything you can to get in his way. That's I think literally your job. I think I think Sari will literally put eleven players in the box defending a corner kick with zonal marking before he decides to go man on man. <laughs> now, I mean, I mean, I'm gonna play devil's advocate here. I guess you could kind of see Sari's logic in playing zonal marking. I guess, okay. I'm not agreeing with it. I'm just giving our listeners a different angle to look at this, so we don't sound completely biased. But we don't have a very big team physically, right? And if you're gonna go man on, if you're gonna go man to man against a team like Burnley, you gotta have at least five or six players above six feet on the pitch, willing to mark, right? We only had what two? Iguain's not over six. Cho and Hazard are small. All of our mid, I mean, we, we, oh, three actually, because we have Loftus Cheek, David Luiz, and Christensen. So, I mean, I guess you could understand that angle. But at the same time, like you could still go man on man and put just put more players in the box. I mean it's 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 that simple. Zach, you forgot one six footer, uh N'Golo Conte. He's pretty tall, right? <laughs> yeah. Spe- I mean... Speaking of N'Golo Conte, um we gotta get to some very bad news. Um two pretty big injuries considering uh where we're at in the season. So I'll, we'll get to Conte in a, in a bit, but I want to start off with Cho because this is the one that's really, really disappointing. And for me, uh, I, I I feel like the biggest asshole in the world uh, because when it happened, it came off a poor uh, clearance by the keeper, right? And it went right mm-hmm. to him, right to him. And it kind of looked like he made a bad, a bad touch. You know, he, he didn't trap glimpse, it. At first glimpse, yeah. That's what it yeah. looked like. And he went mm-hmm. down. And my response was, oh, wow, he's already playing like a vet, uh, you know, gum- falling down on the ground and faking a cramp when he <laughs> when he has a bad touch. But little did I know it was, you know, it was a non-contact injury. So there's no way of knowing at the time. But now I look like the world's biggest asshole for making that joke. Um, but uh, it was a hashtag, ter- uh, hashtag fuck you song. Okay, yeah, so that, that, it wouldn't be, it wouldn't, that wouldn't be the first time that got trending, just so you know. Um, <laughs> the So Cho confirmed on Twitter earlier that, uh, this yesterday, that he had suffered a ruptured Achilles. Uh, he, he was replaced by Pedro, who was informed from his performance against Prague last week, but um, did did ruin some of the chemistry and the, the formation with Iguain in there. We'll get to that in a little bit, but... Um, Again, non-contact injury, which kind of makes it a little bit more worrisome. Zach, I'll ask you, what will we miss and how much will we miss him? I think we're going to miss him a lot. And, and and before I get into like the actual analysis of like what we're going to be missing on the court, 
we do like wish him well and and we know he's going to come back stronger and i mean the kid's 18 years old and he just got his run out like the last couple weeks he just started to burst onto the scene and just started to get his opportunity and we really as as a fan base we really got the sense that okay sorry is actually trusting in him now and sorry genuinely thinks that he's the best guy on the right wing so to see him go down like that was just sad and again it's it, it, it it's a non-contact injury those are always the scariest and you know usually the the turnaround for those is anywhere from four to six months depending on if it was fully ruptured or partially ruptured i'm guessing uh fully ruptured achilles would be around eight months i won't be surprised if it's any if it's any longer than that also i mean it's just a crucial part of the body and we know he's going to come back. But anyways, I mean, we'll get back to the actual footballing aspect. When he came off, the first thing I noticed is that we lost, we completely lost our width on the right-hand side, and we became more narrow, and we were playing directly up the middle. And when you bring a guy like Pedro on, who doesn't necessarily make runs on the outside because he doesn't – he's quick, but he do, I wouldn't say he has speed, right, as opposed to Cho that could beat a guy in a 40- or 50-yard run if he's played through – you got a guy like Pedro that's only quick when the first five or ten yards just to create that extra foot or two to get away from his defender. And Pedro likes to make those diagonal runs. And that limited Iguain space that he had to operate in the middle of the pitch. And I mean, uh, Iguain had a had an awesome game. I thought he was really, really good. This was by far his best performance for us. But the second Pedro came on, it kind of threw things out of whack. And we saw Iguain fade in and out of the game here and there. Now, my concern is that our other wingers uh like William um and Pedro I, they're just too inconsistent this season to be relied upon and like I understand that Cho is as well because you know of his age and 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 his lack of experience and lack of you know playing time but Cho has that ability to produce absolute magic and and, and he offers something that I haven't seen Pedro or William offer consistently and that's raw speed and a wicked cross so I think you know, those are the two things we're going to miss the most. It's just pace, that 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 pace in the wide areas of the pitch and that ability to whip in a cross, a dangerous cross at that. So, you know, we wish him well and, I, and but, it sucks, man. Yeah, I mean, but but every every cloud has its silver lining, right, Andreas? Isn't there something – is there anything yeah. good that can come out of this injury? I guess I'll talk some, I mean, Zach covered the short term, so I'll, I'll go ahead and talk about the long term. For one, we're expected to, to offer him a new contract extension, and the injury will most likely mean that no team is going to invest in Cho this summer. Uh, and you're, like you're this, speculating this, right? Like this, right. We're, yeah, I we're mean, not, yeah, this is not I'm something that we're this, reading. This is, yeah, just, I well, just want no, to confirm. The, there was sources that, that said that we're still offering a new contract. Like Chelsea's yeah, not okay. giving up on Cho. But, the, but the other, but side other of it teams, is, and, yeah. Yeah, this part I'm just basing it on, on usual sports are business. And Som, uh, Zach, sorry, I keep calling you Som, Zach, the, alluded to the fact that non-contact injuries – you don't know how an athlete's going to come back from that. Now, us as Chelsea fans know that our, our physio teams are is fantastic and that most players do well after an injury, but other teams don't know that. This would be, not only was Cho already quote-unquote a risk investing a high value on him because he's 18, but now this injury might turn teams away, which is a perfect time for us to 
to just capitalize and get him to sign a new contract. Now, in terms of what we're going to be missing, we still have a transfer ban looming. We haven't heard any news since the FIFA court hearing in, in April on April 11th. So my biggest concern is this. We're going into a summer where, once again, we cannot sign new wingers. And our current batch of wingers available with Cho out are Pedro, Willian, and Christian Pulisic. That's it. Hazard's gone. I, I, in my mind, he's gone. So those are three wingers. So, yeah, we're down to three guys. Zach also said it. We can't count on Willian and Pedro to, to perform week in and week out. And I actually find it laughable that we even said that Pedro's in form because I don't think form is a factor for Pedro anymore. It's... It's really it's sporadic. Yeah, it's like whenever. Yeah. It's like just a random there, there's rainy no Tuesday. Yeah. <laughs> so, yes, we're going to miss his width. We're going to miss his directness and, and just his output. Outside of Hazard, RLC, and re- more recently, Giroud, and, and Con- let's say Conte. He's been pretty decent in front of goal for his usual standards. Those are the only guys that create actual chances or make a goalkeeper kind of have a slap towards a dangerous area rather than just an easy save. So that's my biggest worry because Pulisic is not a big goal scorer. If anything, he sets other players up to score and we don't have those players. We don't have natural finishers. So Pulisic coming in is just bringing in more of the same unless he's got the right partner on the opposite side of him. So that Pulisic-Cho potential partnership would have been fantastic. Now we have no Cho for at least two thirds of next season. Damn, and Andres, that's, that's my biggest. That's hard fear. to hear. I, I I do have one problem with what you said, and I'm just gonna warn you, and I, and I'm gonna I'm, I'm gonna let this one slide this time. Warn I know you. you're a newly naturalized citizen <laughs> of the United States, and in case you haven't noticed, Pulisic is our boy. So like that's that's just straight up blasphemous. Minimum twenty I'm, goals next season. But, but minimum. But, but no, 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 no. 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 But really, but really, in, in all we, we seriousness, can't expect Pulisic to, to yeah. come in and drop ten goals and ten assists in his first season. He hasn't done season. that yet. Yeah, yeah. It, he hasn't done that yet at the top level. And like, and I do, I do agree with you. I'm only, I'm only busting your balls. My headphones just fell out, so give me one sec. But like, I'm only busting your balls on this because, like, like you said, Pulisic is a creator, and he's very similar to the Hazard type, where he would rather set someone up, or that's, I don't think he'd rather set someone up, but I think that's more what he naturally tends to do as opposed to being like this ruthless clinical finisher. Like, don't get me wrong. The guy could put the ball on the back of the net, but that's not his primary concern. He's a creator. He sucks defenders in and opens up space for his teammates. So like we got William that does the same thing. Like he said, and then Pedro next year is going to be what? 33. And you know, 33 year old wingers, unless your name is Ribery doesn't necessarily work out all the time. So Pedro needs to go to Qatar and be with Xavi or Japan and play with Iniesta. <laughs> like that is that is the only future where Pedro looks good again on a soccer pitch. But the the one oh. kind of glimmering hope that out of the Pulisic move is that him and Bashuai had this kind of pretty good connection. Bashuai when he went on loan to Dortmund scored I think Ooh. something like eight goals in ten matches, like and most of those assists came from Pulisic. So I guess that's the one silver lining. But that's getting me. That's me being completely off topic. The point I'm trying to make is that at this point, our starting wingers should have been Cho and Pulisic as perfect foils of each other. And Mm -hmm. now we're down one of those, which makes us just as one-dimensional as we are right now. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, I think in the long run, it's it's something to look forward to. But like you said, two-thirds of the season, I mean, 
it's that's disappointing. I when you, I I I heard six to nine months, but when you put it that way, like when you frame it that way, it really does show like the impact of that. It's it's, it's gonna suck. Um, but I I mentioned it earlier. Let's talk a little bit about Ingolo Conte's injury because uh, he was subbed off at halftime for Kovacic with an apparent uh, with an apparent back problem. Um, so I'll start off with you, Andreas. What happened with our overall performance when uh, Ngolo Conte came out? Our midfield was completely unbalanced. Conte has, again, people love to try to shoehorn him as just a DM, but he has been so key to progressing the ball forward because teams try to completely block out that left side. So Conte has had to learn to be that guy that connects the defense and, and the attacking three. So our ball progression just went to complete crap once he was out. Yes, I'm talking about offense attack uh, numbers here with Conte out. Surprise, yeah. surprise. He scored, hey, he scored one of the goals, yeah. by the way. He scored. Yeah. So really nice I goal. felt that the, the the progression of our attacks was just completely gone. Kovacic was dribbling backwards most of the time he received the ball. Uh, defensively, I didn't think he was that bad. Uh, I, you know, the, the thing is, again, the way we were playing the first half versus the second half was night and day. Yeah, yeah. And it's, it's very unfortunate that... That that's what again put Kovacic at Regista. I don't care. That that's good. Leave him there. He, he operates well in that kind of half space between defense and midfield. But he tried a curler on the right side of the goal with his right foot, side foot, and in like the 83rd minute, zero threatening goal straight into the keeper's hands. That's the part that's obnoxious. Like Conte, Conte when he shoots, at least puts a low driven shot and. I mean, we've seen him score a triple nutmeg. Like, those are a lot harder to deal with. <laughs> Kovacic can't even connect a cross when he steps into the final third. And that's the part that's extremely frustrating. Conte has been doing these runs off of the wingers, these runs off of the striker that have been so important to our buildup. And even if he doesn't get the ball, he drags defenders out of position. And that yeah. whole aspect of the game was gone in the second half. We are extremely lucky that this was just, like, a, a, a kind of small ding that that messed with his breathing and so all that he'll be good for united because if we had to come into a midfield with a midfield three of Jorginho rlc plus one that united game would be a total disaster i thought i, I thought it was kind of interesting like nobody really mentions the tactical side of the match after conte came off it was like in terms of burnley like everyone was saying Oh, well, Chelsea lost, you know, a little bit of their defensive nouns and Burnley came on to them. But you kind of have to credit Sean Dyche for this because he did position his team 10 yards higher up the pitch and actually started pressing our back line in the beginning of that second half. And it was clear that they were way more confident without Conte off the field because they knew if we lost the ball in those positions, we weren't going to get it back without him. Now, I, going back to the whole Kovacic thing. I don't think Kovacic played poorly at all. I thought he was actually decent. He had like a brilliant 10-minute stretch where I yeah, thought he but was exactly. like – I thought but, I was like, oh, this is it. He, he found yeah. it. <laughs> I mean, I, but, but it – Conte in that first half was just a lightning rod and I feel like we're comparing Kovacic to Conte and that's not necessarily fair to Kovacic. Like he was everywhere and, and – or Conte was everywhere in that first half and – like losing him for that sustained period of time can be a curtain call on our top four hopes. It doesn't look like it's that bad. It looks like he is going to play against United. But going back to the whole Kovacic thing, I don't understand how someone as technically gifted, if not more technically gifted than Loftus Cheek in that middle third. Like he's easy. Him and Loftus Cheek are 1A, 1B in terms of like our technical midfielders, right? 
I don't understand how Kovacic's technical ability cannot translate into him putting his foot through the goddamn ball. Like it's it's just it's crazy to me how he kind of reminds me of Mo Salah when he was at Chelsea. Oh, Every time he God. takes a shot, it goes into the Matthew Harding upper or goes out for a throw-in. Like it, he can't he can't hit the frame to save his life. And when oh, I think when I think about the season as a whole, like. You could criticize Kovacic for not creating enough opportunities for himself, but again, like he's a natural number eight. He's a box-to-box midfielder. He's not necessarily an attacking midfielder per se, but when you think about the whole season as a whole, how many chances has Kovacic actually had to put the ball in the back of the net inside of the box? And that's the thing that's irritating for me because that's something that the coaching staff could identify even if it's not something that Kovacic does naturally, which it isn't, that's something that someone should be in his ear and say, hey, look, if, when we get the ball in this position, make a late run, take a chance, take a risk and get into the box. I think the only time I saw Kovacic go through on goal, it might have been against Liverpool, if I'm not mistaken, at home. I could be mm-hmm. mistaken. I mean, if, if anyone knows, like, Check me on that. But I remember someone played him through. He was 1v1 with the keeper, and he just completely flapped it. Yeah, but. I was going to say, there was a few times early, early in the season, back when we were still in our undefeated run, which feels like it was years ago. My goodness. But, yeah, we were undefeated he had a few times. Well, yeah, we were the longest team to go undefeated in all of Europe. Just, <laughs> just saying, the reminder that we were actually half decent at the start of the season. But, uh yeah, th- th- there's been three or four chances where Kovacic has been inside the box with very, very finishable uh, chances, and he just couldn't even put him on frame, or he kicked it straight to the keeper. So, and it hurt. It kills me to say because I'm a huge fan of Kovacic as an individual player, but it, he needs to go elsewhere at this point. His confidence is shot, obviously, yeah. and and there is no natural fit for him on this side. And that and and again, you said it. You're comparing Kovacic to Conte, which is is tough because Conte is world class. But again, we speak about Chelsea in the big picture. We just don't have any options. Yeah, and that's the sad part, really. That that's we, the thing that that's the thing that worried me is like you can't play Ross Barkley there because now you now you're a little bit now you open yourself up to the counter attack because you have an attacking minded midfielder out there. And then you bring on a guy like Kovacic, and he should be more attacking than Conte, but. Conte is actually our most attacking midfielder like throughout the whole season as a whole because Loftus-Cheek hasn't even gotten a consistent run in. We know Jorginho is not necessarily a numbers guy. So that's the frustrating part is that N'Golo Conte was actually missed for his attacking prowess in a match when we subbed them out. Uh, Zach, I really like your uh, comparison of Kovacic to Mosola. So uh, if any of our listeners like have a bookie, I would try to get a futures bet for him to win Golden Boot in two years when we get rid of him. So, I mean, hey, if, if, if this podcast can make you money, like you definitely should recommend us to your friends. And yeah, get some, get a, a couple, get a couple more, a couple followers because that that for sure is gonna hit. Um, we got we got to hit a thousand first, <laughs> and then we can start giving out betting advice like that. Exactly. So, uh, let let's let's talk about the last uh, last topic I want to to discuss. Uh, Iguain versus Giroud. So. There was a lot of chatter this week about who Chelsea's number one striker should be. Initially, Iguain's name on the team sheet kind of worried me a little bit, uh, but he was actually really good, uh, good yesterday. Uh, I mean, me, I'm I'm Team Giroud, like full and through and through. But and I, 
I really have to say that Iguain's performance was probably his best, uh, at least in the first 45 minutes. Um, and uh, I'll go through his stats. He had five shots, three on target, one goal. Really should have had two if it weren't for that goal line st- uh, bicycle kick to save it. Um, he was constantly finding himself in shooting positions. And also, I just wanted to mention that Eden Hazard pass for that shot was unbelievable. That was crazy. Um, so he came off for Giroud and did not look happy at all on the sideline, throwing bottles. Uh, Zach, what do you think? Do you think he has a right to be mad? Yeah, I'm actually a hundred percent with him. Now, before like everybody jumps on my back, it's not necessarily a matter of like, I don't want Giroud on the pitch because I think Giroud had to be on the pitch, but what I'm finding crazy is that like, we need a, we needed a goal. It was that simple. There's no other way around it. We needed to attack. And if that meant pulling off a midfielder or pulling off a defender and throwing on another striker, then why not do it? And and this is the irritating thing about Sorry, He is so wedded to his system. We could have played another half an hour and we wouldn't have scored. Right? And 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 Clayton Beerman actually tweeted at us and like he mentioned it too. It's like we could have played another 55 minutes and, and and we still wouldn't have scored another goal in that match. I, I completely agree. Why does Sari stick to the one striker setup, especially when you have guys in the match like Pedro who didn't have an impact whatsoever? Pull Pedro off. It doesn't matter if he if you subbed him in earlier in the match. Pull Pedro off, throw Giroud on, go 4-4-2, put Loftus-Cheek on, on, on the right, put Hazard on the left. Kovacic and Jorginho in the middle and just whip balls into the box. And 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 when you think about the the partnership that Giroud and Iguain could be, they're not going to be the most mobile. They're not going to be the fastest. But was Burnley's like that? I mean, Burnley hurt us because they have two strikers that are decent at what they do. You know, Ashley Barnes is their goal scorer, which could be Iguain in that case. And then Chris Wood is a guy who just plays all those knockdowns to him. Why can't Giroud and Iguain do the same thing? Iguain has a knack for finding the ball in the box. If you play him just off of Giroud, imagine Giroud playing those knockdowns to him. We could have had another chance or two, and that could have been the difference between three points and dropping two. That's the irritating thing for me. Why are we so wedded to this system? And why are we so wedded to 4-3-3? Sometimes you just got to go 4-4-2, you got to play ugly, and you just got to whip the ball in the box. That's simple. We saw Mourinho do it. We saw Antonio Conte do it. And they've had success. They've had success doing that at Chelsea. And that's the part that drives me crazy. Especially when you got a guy like Eden Hazard who's coming off of the left-hand side who actually had a good game, who was getting anything he wanted in that game. Imagine if you play 4-4-2 and now, he's, and now he has two target men in the box to look for instead of just one and Pedro who's like half man. It's just very, very irritating and I, I know Andreas is not going to disagree with that. I mean, I, oh, not yeah. at all, not at all. You're again. You have to get the three points. That should have always been the target. Iguain was our biggest goal threat all match because Hazard was getting triple covered at one point, and Pedro was just hanging around in the same exact spaces as Hazard and Iguain, just getting in their way more than anything. So yeah, we've seen Mourinho put a guy in in the second half and then take him on. Take him off the pitch in the minute minute sixty. So, screw pride. Screw your four three three. Play. Go four two four. Do it. They're not trying to score. 
they were wasting time left and right. You make your two outside backs push into midfield and and be side-by-side to Jorginho and and uh, Loftus-Cheek, and then you have a front four of Pedro, Giroud, Iguain, and, Mar- and uh, Morata, and Hazard. And you load their box, you put one in there, and you hope that after a sequence of a pinball-like event, the ball ends up in the back of their net. It's a it's it's a numbers game. If you don't if you're not taking shots or putting yourself in positions to shoot, you're not going to score. That's it. That's it's stupid. It's stupid. By I will play way, ugly ball for ten minutes to get a goal rather than pass it side to side and not even try to to put a ball in. By the yeah. way, by the way, you you accidentally calling uh, Iguain Morata still not as bad as me calling uh, Kepa Courtois the other day. Um, that's just, like it just happens. It, it's 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 a you know it's a Freudian slip. I think he's, his name is on the back of my mind because he's now scoring and scoring important goals for Atletico. So. <laughs> it hurts. Uh, that always that that's just like the classic that's the Chelsea curse. Though. It's classic. I wonder if he's still blow drying his wife's hair. <laughs> what? He's you never saw that picture? What is that man? reference? No, I don't, I don't know that. When he had there... back issues and wasn't playing, he kept posting pictures of like him and his wife just. Having a lovely time, <laughs> blow drying in her Amer- hair. <laughs> in, in America, we call that whipped. <laughs> Aw, poor guy. Uh, all right, I think that's now it she... for part one, huh? Yeah, I got nothing more to say, man. I, I'm just in disbelief that we just have zero closing. Oh. Yeah, DNA. sorry. Final thoughts. I'm so sorry, I, Zach. I know I, you have one final thought. Yeah, I do. So, like, there is a silver lining in all of this, barring the Cho situation. We play United next, and United is god-awful. And they have to play City tomorrow on Wednesday, and then they have to play us on Sunday. So we have six days in between matches, and from what it looks like, Conte looks like he may be available, and Zola alluded to it earlier in the week that Rudy might be available also. And I wouldn't necessarily be opposed to having a Rudiger-Christensen partnership in the back as opposed to playing David Luiz again because – he was awful at the weekend, and to be completely honest, Christensen has looked really good. And I know some people have, you know, went on Twitter after the match and talked shit about him. But like, understand this: Christensen was covering for every single one of David Luiz's mistakes. He made David Luiz look pretty decent in that match. And when you watch it back, David Luiz's positioning on both set piece goals, god awful. His inability to win a header, god-awful. Rudiger could provide that. And he could also pick out a pass, too. So I wouldn't necessarily be opposed to dropping David Luiz against Man United, play Rudiger, play Christensen, and we might have a chance. Anyways, that is it, isn't it? (laughs) Yeah. So, yeah, so... For all of our listeners, uh, this is the end of part one. We don't have a title yet. We'll probably come up with something clever uh, like after always. we're done recording, as always. Uh, make sure you follow us on, on uh, Twitter, at Romans Empire Pod. You can email us, RomansEmpirePod at gmail.com. Uh, we're on all podcasting platforms. We're on Apple Podcasts. We are on SoundCloud. We're on almost every single third-party app. Um, so make sure you download it. Make sure you download epi- uh, part two as well. We're going to be uh, talking about some Chelsea news. We're going to be giving our hot takes on a PFA player of the year and young player of the year. And we're also going to be looking ahead at the uh, Man United match. So that's going to be a lot of fun stuff coming up in part two. Make sure you download it until then. Keep the blue flag flying high.